this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work again. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey there, it's John Warlow. Listen, if you're brand new to Built to Sell Radio, welcome. It's good to have you along for the ride. We've been doing this show now for five years. I've interviewed literally a different entrepreneur every week for the past five years, and I've taken some of their best practices, their their tips and tricks and negotiation hacks, and distilled them all into a field guide. It's a book called The Art of Selling your business. And it is a little bit of a recipe card for you to punch above your weight when it comes to negotiating with an acquirer. You can get it at builttosell.com slash selling. Welcome to another edition of Built to Sell Radio. My name is John Warlow. And our job here today is to help you punch above your weight when it comes to the sale of your company. And today, I don't think we will disappoint on that measure. We have a guest named Josh Delaney who's going to come clean with some really candid insight and tremendous hard-fought wisdom on how he sold his company, Fab CBD. You know, I got to tell you, one of the toughest things about hosting this show for you is trying to get owners to talk about what they sold their company for. Most owners are squeamish about it, and, and others can't reveal it because they're under non-disclosure agreement with the acquirer. But in this case... My next guest, Josh, actually can talk about it because the acquirer made a public press release about it. So it's all in the public domain. The fact that he sold Fab CBD for $13 million of cash, another $8 million in his acquirer's stock. It's a great story. And he talks a lot about how he built Fab CBD in just four years to more than $10 million of annual sales and more than $4 million of EBITDA, which is crazy when you think about it. He talks about the importance of affiliate marketing, in particular, the two types of affiliates and why one is better than the other in his view. You know, the word optionality comes up a lot in conversation these days, and I've never really understood it. So I got Josh to define it in his own words in this episode, and he talks a lot about why that was important to him. He also talks about not being too romantic about your business, so I think is fresh insight for a lot of entrepreneurs to hear. He also talks about the one thing that you must ensure if you're going to take stock for part or all of your company. So if your acquirer's offering stock, it's the one thing you need to make sure is the trading volume of that stock. He'll go into much more detail on the show. He talks about EBITDA arbitrage and how you can use it to your advantage in a negotiation. And finally, we get a definition of a put and call option and how Josh used that to get some more optionality in his deal. Here to tell you his entire story in all the gory details is Josh Delaney. Josh Delaney, welcome to Build to Sell Radio. Hey, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. So I love, I think it's in your Twitter feed. It might be your description, <laughs> which is uh, I, I sell a truckload of stuff online. And so I can order two appies. <laughs> that was my favorite. Yeah. That's awesome. That's that is awesome. Our, uh, that is the name of our parent company, Snack Time. Snack Time. Nice. Nice. So we're we're big we're big snack or at least I should say I'm a big snacker and then I I recruit as many other people to snack with me as much as possible. So we're big appetizer people. 
There you go. Got two Appies yeah. rather than one. Uh, yeah, nobody, tray. nobody second guesses the dessert tray around here. Got it. Got it. Okay, excellent. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about dessert. We are here to talk about cannabis and CBD oil and fab CBD. So just tell me the story of this company. This is CBD is the oil that makes you calm down. It's part of the cannabis tree, but I, help me understand it. I'm obviously kind of naive. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so um, back in 2017, uh, I was already in the supplement space so that, you know, I'm sure we can cover that later, but that was, that's a big part of it is that we were already in the space of uh, building, branding and, and uh, you know, operating supplement companies. So that's a, a big piece of the context. So I got a call about CBD in 2017 from a friend of mine who also started a CBD company. Uh, ironically enough, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the town that we're in, uh, and he actually went and took his company public too. So it's kind of crazy that two two guys from Milwaukee ended up being big players in the same industry at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, we got a call about it. I thought it was interesting. I, I looked up a little bit of the science behind uh, you know, CBD. I was obviously uh, educated on cannabis, but not so much the individual cannabinoids because that really hadn't been popular science yet. Um, for the reason that it was illegal to study, it hadn't, you know, I mean, the regulations on it were there. So we just didn't have a ton of data. Um, lo and behold, we actually have a ton of data about our endocannabinoid system, which we all have, same thing as our dogs and cats. And, uh, you know, when you apply the right cannabinoids to that system, a lot of great things can happen in the body. So it's like we've had half of this data that told us all the reasons why cannabis and cannabinoids individually can have great impact but we've not been able to study the, uh, the actual cannabinoids themselves, right? Which is a crazy backward process when you think about it. We know that this works, but we're not going to let you study it. Um, so, so yeah, got, got into that, heard about it, you know, and it was quite simple of a entrepreneurial jump where I said, all right, let's give this a shot and see if this works. And so because of our background in supplements, we were able to get supply chain, inventory, branding, packaging, website, all that kind of stuff. We were able to do that fairly quickly. And, uh, and launched the site with really crappy labels and a decent Shopify store and, you know, kind of the imperfect product launch. And, you know, little did we know that we caught it right at the perfect storm of CBD in 2017, 2018. And, uh, you know, we went from zero in sales. My mom was my very, very first customer, as she always likes to be uh, in anything that I do. Uh, she got lazy this time. She wasn't my first order on my, my last company, but... Uh, but she, she was our first order. And then that was uh, January, like first, that was literally New Year's Eve of 2017. Um, and then it went, uh, you know, a, a couple million uh, or a few million and then doubled and then doubled again. Uh, we're not going to double this year, but yeah. So it was kind of a, it was like a very fast track because CBD just really, you know, really took off. So. But there's more to it than timing. Like what was it that you did to win, because I, I mean, there's a hundred other guys and gals doing CBD oil companies, and they're doing ten thousand a year, twenty thousand a year. So, like, what? Wh why you? What? What happened? What? What is it that you did that the others aren't doing? Uh, I guess a lot of again, it, it, a lot of that comes from already had the history of um, building a brand and building products. And so, for me, for most people, that would take. I mean, that would take years. I mean, it took me a decade and a half to figure out how to do that quickly and easily, what to ask manufacturers, what to ask packaging guys, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so because I had all that experience, I was able to shave a decade of education in supply chain management logistics into, you know, a month and a half. 
you know, the very first phone call with, uh, you know, manufacturing, uh, you know, producers and uh, licensed producers in the cannabis space, one conversation could answer a ton of questions. So we were able to shorten the curve there. Uh, and then also knowing how to go to market. So, you know, again, my, I would like to say my day-to-day job is a marketer. That's what I like doing. I'm a sales guy at heart. Uh, and so the sales and marketing aspect is what I enjoy doing every day on top of, you know, cleaning toilets and things like that. Uh, but so that was also a fast track. So we were able to, you know, build a product very, very quickly because of past experience. And then, you know, I was able to go straight to the affiliate world, which is what I know best. Um, and I was able to get some really big affiliates. Uh, so other big publishers and bloggers, uh, that were selling cannabis content, I was able to go and, uh, acquire them in terms of acquire them as affiliates, uh, not acquire their business, but, you know, prospect and recruit them as affiliates. Um, it was still early, so there wasn't really like the best brand out there yet. You know what I mean? So we weren't, we weren't looked at in too much comparison with other people. So that was a strong play. I mean, that took us uh, I think our our first three months was like four thousand or no seventeen hundred, uh, like seventeen hundred dollars, four or five thousand dollars, like twelve thousand dollars, and then one hundred and forty thousand. Uh, wow! And what so was the big jump from twelve thousand to one hundred and forty thousand? Yeah, that big jump was like two big, two or three big affiliates that were ranking page one for CBD oil. And so again, in the sales and marketing, our background is in the SEO plus affiliate space and kind of putting those two together. They're kind of one and the same. And so I knew right away to go to page one, Google who was, you know, Google the best CBD companies out or Google the best CBD keywords. And then from those keywords, go and recruit those affiliates. And so the second, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an instant, uh, it's an instant change. So the second you get the approval of that affiliate, you negotiate the deal with them. Uh, and then they put you number one on their website that is ranking page one for CBD oil or CBD cream or whatever it was, CBD gummies. Um, you know, those sales are instant. You know, it's the second they hit it, they hit go, and then you're live on that page. I mean, your sales are 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 instantaneous. And so we hit that really, really hard for the first 12 months, um, along with many other things. But, you know, that was really the, that was really the process to take off was got the products done in a month and a half got the website done in that same time, you know, got our bearings for like, now we have a company to grow. And then we hit Google and searched, you know, the best keywords. And then I went and recruited the, you know, the best affiliates out there for those keywords. And that's what took us to have a real business. Then from got there it. kind of, you know, there's all sorts of stuff after that, but that was the real takeoff point that like set us up to where I backed away and said, okay, guys, we got something here. Um, you know, let's really like build this now. Got it. So I just want to dig in a little bit. So with regards to CBD oil, uh, you were not manufacturing it, as I understand it. You were buying it nope. from manufacturers who had been licensed legally, presumably, and then you were, yep, yep. You were buying the oil. Uh, correct, were you correct, drop yeah. shipping or did you actually take possession of the oil? Yep. Yeah. So our my particular business model in all of our businesses is not to own any of the back of the house. Uh, we can stay really, really lean. I mean, right now, as we have this interview, I've got two other people in my office. Um, wow. You know, and then we've got a, about a you know, handful of contractors, but I like to stay really lean. And, and a key word for me is optionality. When you start to own all those pieces, you lose your optionality as an entrepreneur. I can't move as quickly or get in and out of something as quickly. So we don't like to own anything on the back of the house. But yes, we, but we do like to control our 
uh, our supply chain. So what that means is yes, we did take possession of our products and put them in a warehouse. Uh, so we, we co we co-contract uh, a, um, a 3PL warehouse. Uh, you know, we what's don't 3PL own that, stands we, for? We brought, what's that? What's 3PL stand for? I've never heard of that. Uh, so a third party logistics company. So a shipping and receiving <sighs> okay. company. Yeah. Thank you. So we, we physically would, we, we had our hand in every single step of the way. And we was, is myself and, and our operations director, Emily. So we, uh, we touch every piece. So from the raw oil itself to the flavor they're using in it, you know, whether it's organic or not, you know, how the, how the plants are being grown. Uh, you know, we, we kind of require, we don't always go out and see it, but we require pictures and documentation and, and testing results and certification uh, documentation and all that kind of stuff in every single point of the process. So we kind of do have control even without owning it. Uh, and then the last piece was, yeah, we have all the products shipped to us. Uh, and then we're, our warehouse is about 15, 15 minutes away. So again, we don't own it and we don't necessarily control it uh, within our company, but I can get in the car right now and I can go check and order. I can go check quality control. I can go check how our product is sitting on the shelf before it goes out. Got it. Um, and so that's a, that was a part of strategy is that, you know, we have a couple of things close by that really matter. And the rest of it, you know, can be outsourced wherever else. But uh, yeah. Makes sense. For folks listening, they may not be familiar. So the internet marketers and folks will definitely know affiliate marketing. But for some people, affiliate marketing may be a somewhat of a new term. Um, could you take a stab at describing it for lay- layman's, you know, layman sure. listeners, what, what, what you mean by an affiliate relationship? Yeah, uh, I will ruin the internet for everyone out there. Um, <laughs> so as, as, my wife, as my wife says it to me now. Uh, so yeah, so affiliate marketing is simply other people selling, you know, someone selling other people's products. Uh, you know, so if you, you know, the, the craziest way to give it to anybody is, you know, anything you've bought off of a, uh, a third party website, meaning you went to go look up a mattress and you read about a mattress on, you know, webmd.com or, you know, bestmattresses.com. Those are all affiliate relationships. Chances are they were paid to give you what they wanted to give you that offered the best margin and the best, you know, customer service and all that kind of stuff. So usually you can trust what an affiliate is putting out there because affiliates want to make a lot of money long-term for the most part, not all of them. And so they are, they, they are, they are more likely to have really truly the best product with the best service and they ship on time. And, and that company actually pays them on time. A big problem in affiliate space is companies like mine or, you know, whoever else, they may not pay on time, you know, so that affiliates like, listen, you have a great product, but you guys never pay me on time or, or you never pay me at all. Uh, so I'm going to put Joe Blow here as, as a number one refer. So, um, you know, and it's, it's all over the place. It, nine times out of 10, anything you're buying on the internet from a third party website, they're being paid to tell you what that is. Uh, from a brand's perspective, it's like one of the best ways to market, in my opinion, it's the fastest way to revenue. It's the fastest way to credibility. It's the fastest way to new customers. I mean, going and learning how to find affiliates for your business in some way, shape, or form, uh, it is just the fastest way to success uh, and give you sales quickly. So I, I'm a big fan of it. And what would a typical affiliate relationship look like? I, I'd be curious about the mechanics, the, the commercial relationship. So you're you're paying sure. uh, them a commission on sales, presumably. What percentage yep. would you pay, and when would that money trans like actually move from you to them? Totally. Typically, you have two ways of paying an affiliate. Uh, one's called CPA, so a cost per acquisition. That's typically all their money up front. So those affiliates I usually like to stay away from because they they want all their money up front for a reason. You know, they come and go. 
And so let's say your average order is $100. Uh, like ours is, our, I'll give you our exact numbers. You know, so our average order is like $110 to $120. Uh, and so that's the number I use though. That's one of the, that's the top number I use to pitch affiliates is, Hey guys, you know, I'm making 110 to $120 per order. That's the, that's the pile of money we get to, we get to do a deal with on a CPA level, which they want, they want that one time. It's a one-time commission. They typically want 50 to hundred percent of that first order, usually much higher than 50. It's, it's probably closer to like 75% to hundred percent. Uh, so, you know, 85 to $110, they want all of that on that first order uh, because they know that you're going to make it on the back end, right? Got it. Um, and so they're incentivized to get a bunch of those first orders. So that's one way to do it. The second way to do it is on a recurring revenue model. Uh, that is what I prefer to do because it keeps everyone's skin in the game. Uh, now, you're going to pay out more money long term, but it's also less work long term because you have a longer relationship. So you kind of got to see the you got to see the light at the end of the tunnel to make those kinds of deals, which I've done this for a while. So I know that it, it works out in the end. So that looks uh, that's a lot less. So uh, my average you know, deal is between 20 and 25 percent on the front end and, you know, 15 to 20 percent on the back end, meaning on that very first sale, I'll pay you 25 percent commission. And on mm -hmm. every sale after that, whether it comes from my emails or it comes from my black friday campaign or it comes from all the work we do as a company which costs a lot of money i'll still give you a little percentage of that even though i'm paying to retain those customers over and over and over again uh to get my my lifetime value out of them i will give you another cut of that customer you know forever um and so i prefer that model because again it's a longer term relationship and now the numbers that I get to pitch, which is also a part of Fab CBD success, uh, is that the numbers I get to pitch is not just that first sale number. I can go back and tell them now, guys, I've got three, four years of data that shows how much I've paid this affiliate on the back end. So they made you know, $250,000 on their first time sales, but then I've paid them another $400,000 on their recurring sales. You know, that that is a big value to these affiliates. And we've got affiliates we've paid millions of dollars to. And, you know, they, they've quite honestly probably uh, for just us and we're not the only one out there. They've probably created a really good living for themselves just off of fab commissions, let alone all their other commissions from other wow. companies because of that recurring model. And so I prefer that I'm I'm a I'm a generous entrepreneur, I would say. So I like to that's the conversation I like to have. And I think that's that is uh what I think more entrepreneurs should buy into is, Hey guys, have a longer vision and, and allow other people to buy into your vision somehow. And you'll just have less work to do down the road. And so, you know, we got a lot of guys that promote us long-term cause they know they're getting kickbacks, you know, on every single order and just makes our jobs a lot easier. That's awesome. You mentioned kickbacks. Of course, that's a bit of a dirty word. Some people have a negative connotation. Do they have to disclose the, 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 the spiffs commissions they're earning? Like, is, do they have to do that? Or is it just kind of recommended or what's that? No, I don't, I don't think affiliates have to, I think they have to disclose that they're an affiliate, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but I don't think like it's like a promotion that's sponsored, so to speak, but no, they don't have, I don't think they have to disclose like disclose dollar amounts or like what it is or anything like that. But, you know, again, you're talking the biggest websites on the planet are affiliates, you know what I mean? And you would never know it. That's why my wife yells at me and says, Josh, I'll never buy another you know, I'll never buy anything else off the internet again without second guessing who I'm buying yeah. this from. You've ruined it for me forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. So 
this business gets off to a really fast start, which I love. Um, you get up to like, what was the, you were, you were sort of around 10 million in revenue when you decided to sell something in that. Yeah. Last, last year, uh, last year it was like 11 and a half million. It wasn't, it wasn't 12. It was, it was shy of 12 million. So it was like 11 and a half million last year. Got um, it. So we did, we did like two and a half and then like five and a half and then 11 and a half. Uh, we won't double again this year. Um, we'll probably do the same a little bit more this year, but, uh, but yeah, those were the, that was the track record on it. And again, largely through affiliates and SEO, affiliate marketing and search engine optimization. Is that, was that? Yeah, I, I would say it was probably uh, like 40, 40%, 30 to 40% affiliates, um, 15% paid media. So like display, banner, Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, probably another like 10% uh, in um uh, email and then the rest was SEO. So we, we do a lot of our own organic SEO as well. So SEO or organic SEO optimization for ourselves and affiliates were the biggest chunks of everything. Got it. And, and, and of course that's obviously unpaid. So that's a, that's, that's fantastic. So yep. you got to around 11 and a half million in revenue, um, growing like a weed. What made you want to sell? Like what, was there a trigger there or something or what? In this particular case, uh, people came to me. So we were not for sale. Uh, I had a, a dozen people come to me um, asking. That's what sparked it. And then, uh, and then I kind of just networked through those. And it's like once you get into the venture capital community, uh, the SPAC community, you know, the public community, the, the attorneys, you know, that do this, uh, it's a very small world like anything else. And so I, I can honestly tell you that like we had seven deals at the end of the day, half of them were during the time that we were not for sale. Uh, there was just people coming to us. The other half, uh, which was probably like six or seven months into it, I said, all right, well, let's, let's actually list ourselves for sale. I had seven letters of intent written offers on my desk at once in the final hour. Wow. And so you're, you're kind of, remind me where you're at. You're 11 and a half million in revenue, yep. but yep. probably like shy of five on EBITDA. So to give you an example of the industry in CBD, you know, you've got the biggest guys out there, a hundred million in revenue. And that's like literally one, one or two companies. Then the second is like between 70 and 80. That's like two or three, two, one or two companies. And so then you've got maybe a couple more that are in the 30 to 50 so that's like literally like maybe five to seven companies. Um, and then you've got like the 10 to 25, right? So I would consider myself in like the top 15 of companies and probably in that like nine to 15 range. You know what I mean? Like I'm in that, yep. I'm in the bottom half of that. And, but the big kicker here, which on why I was getting a lot of offers and some of those bigger companies were actually some of the offers. So I had two of those top 10 companies were also two companies that were making an offer. And the big reality was, is a lot of them didn't have cash. And so they wanted me to buy in all stock and I wanted cash. I wanted this to be, I'm on, I'm in the middle of my career. So for me, it was like, listen, I'm not trying to go another quarter of my career and not get that cash payout. I've already been chugging along for 15 years. I've done well, but I want the big cash payout. I'll take stock, but I want big cash um, at this particular time in my life. And so my advantage 
which was a lot of these other companies disadvantages for not being able to sell or be as valuable is they were making 30, 40, 50 million dollars in revenue, but they were negative 5 million in EBITDA. I made uh, and a very successful company is, you know, 30 million in revenue and 5 million in EBITDA. That's what right now in the industry today, that is, that is a successful CBD company. 10, 15% EBITDA margins. Yeah, yeah, I was 11 and a half million last year at 5 million EBITDA. That's blowing my mind. Like, how yeah. is it possible that you make 40 points after yeah. you said, yeah. like, it was after like you... four, you have the sheet there, but it was like 4.5, 4. 4.6, something like that. It's crazy. But it's yeah. crazy. But like, because you're also paying these affiliates 15% yeah. on the, on the long term. Yeah. Uh, how on earth did you make 40 points of margin selling CBD oil? Like I'm guessing the oil itself is pretty cheap to buy then. I, I, I'm trying to make the math work in my head. So the crazy part is, is that in 2017 and 18, it was not cheap. So we did not, I did not start this company on these like ridiculous margins to like kill people. That was not what happened. Uh, it looks like it now, but that, but no, back in, to give you an idea of price points, so a kilo of oil, right? So like the metric of oil that we would buy, that was, you know, we had it blend, we call it blended. So it's flavoring, um, uh, MCT oil as a, as a carrier, because you got to carry the carry the CBD oil throughout the body and a fatty acid does that. So you got CBD, you got hemp extract, you've got the right amount of cannabinoids, you've got MCT, uh, uh, MCT oil in there as a carrier, and then you've got your flavoring. Um, and we use like organic natural flavoring. So, uh, that that kilo of that oil back in 2017 was $16,000 per kilo, okay? Today, that same exact kilo, that same exact bulk metric of oil is about 2,000. Wow. So you're talking a very, so we really, we still had good margins back then, but like what it's turned into. So really the situation we're in now is, we could drop prices, but like that is the value of it. And the, the acquisition of customers is getting more expensive. So we're, we're sure. keeping our prices where we're at. But yeah, it was a point of, you know, we just ran really lean. We didn't buy stupid stuff. You know what I mean? We're, I'm, I'm a tried and true like laptop entrepreneur. So anything above like our office right now, this is the first office, probably the second office I've had in 15 years. I, I'm, I am a tried and true laptop entrepreneur. I mean, I, I coffee shop laptop and, you know, make millions it. of dollars on the Internet. And, and, you know, our contractors are around the country now where we've got multiple we've got real estate, we've got multiple brands, we've got multiple things. So but even still today, we have a very, you know, small office. Uh, and for those know, listening it, and nuts not watching on YouTube, uh, Josh just gave us a little oh, scan yeah. of his office, and it's 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 yeah. it's great, funky, but yeah. not huge. It's right? small. We pay we pay seventeen hundred bucks in rent. You know, there's people out there that they're running the same shop we do, and they, you know, are talking about complaining about money, and it's just like, well, what's your rent? Oh, we pay nine grand in rent. I'm like, for what? For right. what? You know that that's an extra hundred grand a year. Like that's crazy. So, you're, so we're you're, just you're, we're very much those people. You're making almost five million dollars a year on eleven and a half million in sales. So, like, are you pocketing five and a half million dollars a year, or are you reinvesting all of that in the years leading up to the sale? Like, are you able to pocket a ton of yeah. money, or do you have to reinvest it? Yep. So we, again, being like the style of entrepreneur that I am, and and kind of what has bled into the team that we've built. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll answer the question with this kind of funny story. I don't remember what year it was. Maybe it was like nineteen. 
but the goal that Emily, my operations director, had come Black Friday, uh, because we were dumping so much money into growth, we were like, let's go, let's go, let's go, double, double, double. I think it was like 19 or something. The 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 only goal she had for for the end of the year, like inventory buying and, and logistics management. I said, Emily, listen, it's if we get to zero in the bank account, that's a win. I'm good with that. If you go negative, we lost. I was like, but you can do, you can buy what you got to buy, do what you got to do. Just don't go literally below zero. Do not go negative $1, but you can go to zero in the bank account. And that's okay. Uh, because we, and we, and it just so happened that we were like right about there. It was like, we had like a million, but we had to spend a million. And it was, it was right around there where it was like, Hey, we might, we might be like negative 10 bucks. We might get an overdraft charge for 35 bucks. Uh, but we are very much into that. We like that. It keeps us hungry. But then come come 2020, no, we were very much like in the cash. Uh, after we, I yeah. think that was like the last kind of like phase we went through that reinvest, 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 reinvest. And then come 2020, uh, we definitely had money. We were still investing a ton, but we definitely had a lot of money left over still. Uh, even with paying our affiliates great, even with buying double the content and doing double the advertising, we still had uh, you know, obviously pre-tax, but I think we had uh, obviously the four and a half EBITDA in 2020. Uh, you know, we probably, you know, we probably pocketed a couple million of that. You know, that was still in the bank. And then even when we sold, we had a couple million in the bank. So there was plenty of cash to go around at that point. Got it. I guess the obvious question listeners are are asking themselves is, well, why sell then? I mean, if you had a business, couldn't you just kind of feather back on the the growth? pocket the money and and kind of ride it out for years in the future like was that part of your calculus or what yeah yeah it was and and this is the math i did so kind of going back to what we said uh or what you said pre-interview you know kind of the tactical side um you know i did a lot of homework on and i learned the lessons from selling some this is definitely the biggest business i've ever sold my other businesses were sub a million dollars they were they were much smaller and uh so I, I had to learn a little bit of new uh, mathematics on how to approach this. And so my mind went like this, like, OK, if we do four or five million this year and, uh, you know, pre-tax, uh, you know, that's like, let's call it three million uh, that I'm, I'm taking home, you know, putting another million in the business for growth. So let's call it two million. Uh, let's say we do that for the next three years. That's six million bucks in my pocket if we just did that. So we made another 30 million bucks or, four, you know, 35 million bucks. And I took home, say, five to seven million in my pocket, right? And I could feather back on my management or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. My, my first thing is that I'm not someone who just does nothing. So that didn't really register with me of like, well, let me kind of set back a bit because that just doesn't like work for me. Um, secondly, that like five to seven million bucks really isn't that much money in the grand scheme of things, right? I mean, now again, that was, pre- that was post-tax. So like paid taxes and everything and you're clearing five to seven. But that's over, you know, that's over, you know, the next few years. So my brain went, okay, if I do exactly what I'm doing, I can walk away with five to seven. If I sell today and I get the proper multiple on this during the height of cannabis right now, and I go to the right buyer, which the right buyer is someone in cannabis who's not going to argue my valuation. My valuation was about six to eight. Uh, I got like 6.3 or something, which I was happy with. Just to be Um, clear, six to eight times EBITDA. Yep, yep. So so roughly 30 million is what you're thinking. Yep. Yep. And so my negotiations were the 13 million in cash. 
Uh, and so that was, that was that, that it started at like 10 and then it built up uh, because I had multiple people giving offers. I actually had someone offer 15 million, uh, but the, the rest of the deal wasn't as attractive. So my thing was, is I, I want 13 million. And the reason I got 13 million was that was more like six, seven years of work. You know what I mean? I was like, if I can, cause here was the, I can't remember who told me this, but somebody much smarter than me in the internet world told me this, that selling a business at this size or higher is not about the money you're going to get. It's not about making more money. It is about acquiring more time. And that really, really hit home for me. So I, that was really how I started looking at the, the deal was not in the dollar amounts, but the, what did the dollar equate to time-wise? And so that was the real mathematics that ended it for me was if I keep doing what I'm doing, it'll take me three, four years to acquire, you know, five, six, seven, eight million dollars cash post tax. Uh, and who knows what the business will do? Who knows where we'll be? You have no idea. Or I could compress, you know, eight years or set whatever that is. I could compress double the years into one transaction. I could literally get that time in money today and then get the same amount of time in money. I actually got more of it in stock that I can cash out within the next couple of years. So the way that I looked at it for why sell was I was able to acquire the next 20 years of my life and wealth in one transaction rather than taking the chance on, hey, this thing may go for another three, four, five years. Maybe I'll make five, six, seven million in my pocket, but maybe I won't. Such a great, I, I'm so glad that you shared that story and, and with such candor, because I think that is a really important lesson because we hear it a lot from entrepreneurs saying, oh, I'll just keep it and I'd make the same in three or four years as I would if I sold it. But you've just laid out the math and I think your math is spot on. Uh, and I think that that makes a ton of sense. And And I love your comment about not more money requiring more time because life is short and, yeah. and you've got lots of things you want to go do. So yeah, the structure in, in the, the, in the sense of money, sorry, in the sense of like the actual dollar amount, again, speaking to the audience that you said you have here, it's like for people that are already making a million bucks a year, or 2 million bucks a year, like what's another 5 million, what's it going to do? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not changing your life. Uh, and so in the reality of being a hungry entrepreneur, I wasn't interested in anything that was like two, three years. You know what I mean? It was like, listen, guys, I've been working for 15 to get this. So I'm not going to work for 15 years to make a two-year transaction. You know, that, that's going to change my life for two years or three years as an entrepreneur. And that was a big lesson that I had, I had told my team about. I said, listen, guys, this is great. And everyone got big paydays when we sold. Everyone was really excited on the team. But it was also the lesson of like, listen, guys, you saw what it takes to build a business. A million bucks can be gone today. Like we can go spend a million dollars today. We can go spend $5 million building a company that may or may not work today. Like that money is very easy to spend when you're in the thick of a business and you're launching something or you're building a product or you're building a software or whatever the case may be, sure. that money can just be gone if you're not careful. Uh, and so we took that again, we took that into consideration of like what we wanted to build in the future. And that little bit of money, if we kept the business was not enough for us to do what we want to do, which was, you know, is 10 X what we're doing right now. And I think that thought process along with uh, something that I've had to learn, which again, I think a lot of people miss is you're too romantic with it. You know, I, I told these guys, I told all the buyers, they, they kind of gave me a lot of the romantic questions. Well, yeah, why you sell and what, what does this mean? I said, listen, guys, I'm gonna be real upfront. I am not romantic with CBD. 
I do not go to bed dreaming about CBD. I love it and I'm great at what I do and we're one of the best CBD companies in the world. But I am not romantic with this. Like this isn't, this doesn't mean the world to me in terms of this was an idea we had in 2017. We executed, we were logical, we were practical, you know, we were fiscally responsible and we built a great business that is now worth X dollars to you. That's it. You know, and if we, and we're continuing to build it, we still own 20%. So we still are hungry for it. But I was not, I was not like this, this mystical, romantic, you know, uh, entrepreneur about this thing we built. So we, we had to keep it very practical in order to get the deal we wanted, which was exactly how it, why it happened the way it did. When it came to the final table, I said, listen, guys, I want this much cash. I'm good with this much stock. I want this part of the deal. And hey, it's yours to, it's yours to lose or take. And, and I'm willing to sign the papers today if we can get that done. You know, there's a little bit for you, a little bit for me. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Let's go. You're not going to, I'm not going to get a sticking point on something that is, you know, that I'm trying to be romantic with, so to speak. Or yeah, that I, I feel mean, that I deserve or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I, a hundred percent. Yeah. So the ultimate acquire was high tide. They reported the numbers, uh, yeah. I think it was an implied valuation of almost 26 million, which represented six times your normalized Correct. EBITDA. Correct. Um, and, and you got, I think just shy of 13 million cash and 8 million yep. common shares. That sound about right. Something. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I so, got about 20, just shy of 21 million total and the value and then the 20%, which is worth, you know, another five to 6 million. So that's that 26 number. And the yep. value to me there is high tide was is the first retail cannabis company on NASDAQ. And so my value there was I'm probably going to make now this is a guess, but I'm hoping to make double my stock money. So to me, the deal is actually closer to like a 30 million, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rather than the 26, because that eight in stock, I think is going to double because they're doing a great job as a company themselves and, and they're making big strides. And so that was part of the give me the cash. The stock I'm not as worried about, I'll keep 20% that you can buy back later at my same valuation. So I still have, you know, whatever that is, 12, 15 million bucks in, in cash on the line uh, to make the deal go good. So that was cool for me because I said, listen, we're still hungry. We can still build and there's still meat on the bone here. And in the next two years, we can pull that meat off and it's worth another double deal basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. This is super helpful because I think a lot of people listening to this uh, have been a bit queasy, uneasy, unsettled about accepting stock as part of their compensation yeah. in a deal. Now for you, it sounds like a, a big chunk up front in cash was important. Like it, that, that was that mitigated part of it that exact yeah. risk. You know, so yeah. that's most of the time when you're taking a stock deal, it's two things. How much cash did you get to keep you happy? And then secondly, what's their daily volume if you want to sell that stock, right? So if, if they're not, if they gave you you know, 10 million in stock, but they're only trading a quarter million a day. It's like, that's going to take you X amount of days to get rid of that stock. And quite honestly, you're probably going to tank them as a company if you pull it all out. So with high tide, they were trading a lot of volume. So if I really, really wanted to, you know, I could pull stock out every day and it, it wouldn't cripple them. It wasn't a huge deal. So that was a safety net for me when, because I'm typically no stock. I'm the same way as everybody else. But those are the things you have to look at is, am I, am I getting any cash? And can I liquidate this stock? Is this company successful enough for me to liquidate? Usually they're not successful enough to liquidate. And that's where that, that's where that, um, that thought process comes from is you get all these guys that sold for stock, they could never cash it out. And then there's the bad reputation. But if you're getting stock in a company that can be liquidated, you know, then it's, then it's pretty safe. I mean, then it's just a matter of your lockup time. 
Yeah, and so your your stock in High Tide, big you know publicly traded cannabis company, uh, do you have to hold it for a period of time, and after which you're allowed to sell? Like, how does that work? So I I we negotiated on a schedule. Uh, the schedules went all the way up to four years, which I was not okay with. So we brought it down to two. So the Canadian uh, limit, it, or the can- Canadian legal release is four months and one day. But then they went to NASDAQ. So I have five payout schedules, four months in one day. I got, I got like uh, 30%, like 35%. Um, uh, so that was like my biggest chunk I just got like a month ago. Uh, so that was like two and a half million bucks. Uh, then it's six months, 12 months, 18 months, and 24. So I get an equal release. I got like 35%, I believe it was, on the four-month one day. Then it's, then it's the rest split evenly uh, over the next four payouts. So I essentially am still going to get that stock over the next two years, and that's an incentive for me. It's, it's also make sure that High Tide trusts me because I know, hey, Josh is the second biggest shareholder. He's not going anywhere. He's got skin in the game, right? Like if Josh messes up, he messes up his own deal. Um, and I thought that was very fair. Like I was a very good, fair human deal. You know, it didn't have any of these political strings of something else. It was just a very, very good transaction between good humans, which was a part of why I did. I said, listen, that makes sense. This makes very good sense for you. This makes very good sense for me. And if you can come off that cash, this is a win-win for everybody. Got it. And they, and, and the so- big thing there to, to finish that note on that EBITDA number when you're selling to a company with stock, you also want to look at the way that they're because you're also you're also seeing how intelligent they are when it comes to those things. Like the deal they make you is a sign of how smart they are, right? And so with my deal, they were currently trading at 24 times EBITDA. They bought me for six times EBITDA. So they're you know, they were doing backflips. <laughs> They were doing backflips. Now I, we saw that. So we knew that like, okay, you guys aren't stupid. You know what you're doing. Like you're stealing us. Like you're, this it's called EBITDA arbitrage. You know, you guys got us at six, you're trading at 24. Now that, that 24 is going to fluctuate. But at the end of the day, we are worth like four times more than what you bought us for. Great deal for you. Great deal for us. I'm happy. Let's wrap it up. But now again, as, as looking at a stock deal, those are some of those indicators that'll tell you if it's worth it or not. Were you tempted to hold out for more? I mean, yeah, I'm not suggesting you didn't get a great deal. You did. Uh, but hearing that they're trading at 24 in the public markets, did you think about you know, holding back and maybe taking the company public or you know, pushing for more? Any of those thoughts? That's when, when, that, when you have all these good deals on the table and you're past the point of like, life change, right? Like after, I think after, you know, five, six, seven million bucks, like after that, it's kind of like you, you could do whatever you want, so to speak. Uh, I think that's where like greed and deception and the little devil on the, on your shoulder starts to stand up and chirp in your ears. This was a, listen guys, we did something in three years. We went from zero to now someone wants to give us dang near 30 million bucks. Like at the end of the day, when we cash out stock, when it's all said and done a couple years later, if I get the cash I want, we're taking it. Like that's, that's the point. We did this in three years. You know, we like, that is, I'm not, we're not going to get greedy. We're not going to get selfish. We're not going to get crazy. If these guys sign the bottom line, we're taking it and we're moving on. You know, we're, we're going to do what's next. And that, that was, that was the thought process I had to get into. So I never really thought about, can I get more from a greedy standpoint? It was more of, 
Some people wanted to lowball us. And really the aggressive stance I had was we're not going to take anything that's not fair. And if you're the type of people that are going to try to sell me on something that's not fair, I don't want to work with you anyway. We hmm. built a solid company with solid books and a solid industry with a solid track record. I don't have to take anything below fair. Six to eight is fair. I took six. I was fine with that. I said, you're in the fair range. That's fine. And did you use the word fair? Uh, very, with an, very much so. What, yeah, very much so. I was I'm a very ask, polarizing negotiator where even with the broker deal, I was like, guys, this just isn't the right thing to do. Like, this isn't right. And then with, with high tide, I was like, guys, this is a, this is a very fair deal. Like, you know, even, even the 13 cash, I had offers for 15 cash. Uh, and we had offers that were almost double that size too. I mean, we had a 44, $44 million offer on the table, uh, but it was much more stock and a little more volatile. So I said, listen, guys, I'm not, we don't need to take a risk here. This is a slam dunk. I'm only looking for slam dunks and grand slams. That's it. That's all. If it's not a slam dunk, we're not taking it. Let's go back. And to that doesn't time. mean that it needs to be more. It just needs to be solid. It needs to be bulletproof. And the 13 million cash with the stock and the two year and their trading volume and the way that they were doing it, that was a bulletproof deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when the stock liquidates, you, you mentioned there's a rule in Canada, the four months plus a day, like when you got yeah. your stock, did you hold it or did you cash some of it in or how did you decide, think through that? Yeah, it's holding. So I'm going to hold it. Uh, it's down right now. So I got it at seven ninety nine. It's it's at, it's in like the fives or sixes right now. Um, mm -hmm. You have a lot of people shorting it. So it, this is all what I've seen is pretty standard uh, when someone goes new to NASDAQ. So they're still brand new to NASDAQ, but they're highly undervalued. Uh, they're doing a great job in acquiring businesses. I mean, just since I've been on board, uh, they've gone from zero e-commerce to over 50 million in e-commerce in six months. Wow. And they're acquiring more. So like these guys are, are, are doing it. And so I see, you know, my 799 price, uh, I see that, you know, being much higher than that. So I'm going to hold, uh, you know, probably for the year or two, and then we'll see from there. But, uh, but I'm, again, I'm not going to be romantic. I'm not going to be stupid. You know, the second I start to see any, you know, patterns that look like, Hey, this is a good time to sell something, you know, we're definitely going to do that. But, but, you know, I trust Raj, the, the CEO and owner, He's a bootstrap entrepreneur guy just like us. And so he knows what it's like. He knows, you know, he started from, you know, the, the trunk of his car and, you know, then into a store and he's that kind of guy. Uh, so he gets it. And, and I trust that. So we're excited about that. So, yeah, we're going to hold. So we got that four month, one day payout, which was a, a two and a half million. I'll hold that. And then the six month will come right before New Year's. I'll hold that. And then we'll see what next year looks like. But I think their value should start to uh, like really show its face come 2022 in terms of at the market re realizing really what they are, which is, you know, a couple hundred million dollar a year cannabis company that's got, you know, 50 plus million in e-commerce and they're highly profitable. I mean, that's just not normal in the cannabis yeah. space. I mean, they're very profitable. So and that's, that's that EBITDA arbitrage. They're buying profitable companies for less than what they're trading for. And so they're just stacking EBITDA and it's, it's, it's a good plan. It's, it's, they're, they're able to buy the right companies the right way. And, you know, it's, it's good. They're, car they're carving out a little corner in the niche. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and again, one of the things that they did, which I'd love you to talk people through, it may be new to some people, is the put in the call. Uh, so you kept 20% of yep. your company, um, but they have an option to buy that, I believe. And, yep. and, and you also have an option to put that 
on them after a year. Can you just walk people through that? If that's new language for folks, yep. can you just explain that in layman's terms? And so again, a big, uh, a big word for me this year is optionality. You know, I want, I want to be able to know what my future holds and I don't want anyone else to be able to tell me what that is. And so in this particular deal, I had to give and take a little bit. And that give and take was 12 to 24 months. And so I can't, I can never remember which one's a call and which one's a put. I can't remember which, like who, like, I don't know put, if the call is, is on my you end. Put your shares onto them, effectively. Okay. So the put's on my end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So and you've I got an option to buy. Yeah. Yeah. I have a put after 12 to 20, 12 months to up to 24 months, meaning I can force them to buy the 20% of my business for the same six times EBITDA in stock after 12 months before 24 months. They have the call option to have me do it or have them do it to me um, where they can make me exit and buy it back within, excuse me, I believe three years. So it's 12 to three years. And so what that does is again, it gives us an option to not you know, be sitting with a used car or just if we think it's the right time to buy. So. I don't want to go out to the market again and try to sell that 20% out in the open mm -hmm. market. I wanted to make sure that I had a, uh, a trigger in place that if I wanted to sell that 20% to them, uh, I, I agreed to do that in stock. And so that can, again, can be between 12 and 24 months. And then theirs goes all the way to three months, uh, three years. So 36 months. So they can call me uh, and say, Hey Josh, you know, we don't need you guys anymore. We don't need you anymore. We're going to buy the other 20%. Maybe they're going to sell to somebody else. You know what I mean? Who like any, all the things they have, they also have that option to acquire me maybe faster than maybe the faster than maybe I want to, or something like that. They could call mm -hmm. me today, I think, or, you know, so that is the call input. But for us, that was really important to know that I wasn't sitting on, you know, a used car, so to speak at some point where like, who's going to, even if it's doing really, really well, who's going to buy that 20%, even, even if I'm double EBITDA, double revenue, who am I selling that 20% to outside of high tide? So I wanted to make sure that that was an option uh, that we could go and, and push the button on, you know, at some point. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you get, so options, both sides, it keeps you locked in for 12 months because you can't do it for yep. 12 months. So you're, you know, and so they yep. can make the transition. Makes a ton of yep. sense. I know we're short yeah, on time. Somebody doesn't like somebody, you know what I mean? It's like, again, when you're doing a deal, you never know how it's going to go. If you're going to like them, if they're going to like you, and so I think that was very fair on both ends. It's like they could call me and say, hey, Josh, we don't like you. You know, or we don't we don't like how you're running the business. OK, I mean, I'm, I, I thought about that pre-signing and I said, if you give me the cash and you give me the stock and we just don't like mesh properly and you guys want me out, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm, that's OK. Not everybody gets along. Not everybody's going to mesh. And if that happens, I'm OK with that. You know, as long as you give me these things, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. You know, that's fine. Do what you guys got to do. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. not going to cry and say, oh, you guys, you guys stole my company or anything like that. You know, do what you got to do. What did you call it? Don't get a romantic about it. Yeah. Don't, you know, yeah, I'm not, we're not romantic about it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I know you're short on time. If you could replay <laughs> this negotiation all over again uh, and, and do one thing differently, what might that be? The, the most obvious is the broker part. So I mm -hmm. would have had all of my, deal points in a row and then i and then brought them to a broker so it's not that using a broker is bad i actually have a lot of now good friends who are brokers who do a phenomenal job and they and they're guys that have sold businesses 
uh, at for high high valuations, and they became a broker because they're just in it so much. Um, you know, I, I've gotten so many people asking me that like I could go be a broker, and that's I get how these guys became brokers. Like they, you know, they sold two companies for X amount of tens of millions of dollars, and now everyone they know calls them. This easy, it makes total sense. Yeah. So brokers are not a bad rap, but if you get to a broker and you do not have a game plan already for them to go execute. You're going to get into a lot of trouble. You're going to sign a lot of bad deals. You're going to get a lot of wasted time. So that is the first thing that I would have done differently is I would have had more concrete of a deal on paper to say, just like if I'm buying a car, like I want this spec and this trim and this color and, you know, and this is what I want. And then a guy shows up, well, here's a yellow, here's a yellow Toyota Camry. It's like, dude, I, I, what do you, I want a black Mercedes and you brought me a yellow Camry. What are we talking about? That's what happens a lot in, in selling a business. I want, I want 20 million bucks and I want, I want 10 million cash. And then all of a sudden the guy's like, Hey, I got you a deal. It's $13 million and it's 4 million in cash. And to the average entrepreneur, they're like, Oh, well, geez, that's real. Right? Like, but it's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. you wanted 20 and 10. Don't go to 13, you know, 16 and three or whatever it is. So having your deal on paper, talk to attorneys first, get that deal on paper and then take that to an investment banker, then take that to a broker. Um, you know, you're going to save yourself a lot of money, a lot of time and a lot of headache. That was the first thing I would do differently. Awesome. Awesome. If you, if you bought yourself any sort of trophy to reward yourself for this four year odyssey, is there something on your driveway or something that you bought? So Please tell me there's something. I mean, there's a few things, but they're not, they're like less, less of trophies, but I already had a cool car. Uh, I had an AMG Mercedes that I bought like two years ago. So that was kind of my first trophy. Um, but uh, no, we bought some like pretty cool real estate. That was, I'd say that's our trophy. So we bought a big piece of land in the middle of downtown Milwaukee. So it, a true entrepreneur, we just bought another business is our trophy. But we we live in downtown Milwaukee and uh, we bought a, like a prime, prime, prime time on one of the major intersections in downtown Milwaukee, piece of land that we're building our new headquarters and some new townhouses. And one of the townhouses is mine. So that'll be kind of my trophy townhouse and our trophy office, but it's also an investment and rental property. Um, so that was something cool that we did. You know, we did that kind of prior to the sale, but, uh, but that's something that's really going to come out cool that, you know, we'll have a really cool piece of real estate that we can all call our own. And a big part of it'll be that, you know, we did this deal and that was it. But yeah, so I, I would say that. That's great. That's going to be uh, yeah. the mayor of Milwaukee at some point. It's just a hey, fantastic hey. story. You know, the more, the more attention gets out there, the less I want it. <laughs> Listen, man, Milwaukee's on, it's on the upswing. There was a time where it was, yeah, sort right. of, I've heard a lot about it. So it's great. We are the, we are the NBA reigning champions. I will take that. I'm a big Bucks fan, but are you? you know, I, 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 on a, on a, on that same note, I would say we just, we like to do cool stuff with our money. So for us, like we, we try to do a lot of charity uh, we wrote a lot of checks to the whole team. You know, I gave away over a million bucks uh, when the deal was done. So that was big checks to the team, uh, big checks to some of our big affiliate partners, um, you know, stuff like that. I bought my parents a couple of brand new cars. That was cool, you know, but like hmm. for the, we like that stuff. You know, I mean, uh, we like cars and all that. And everyone here drives a nice new car. But like who's that was we? the stuff that really makes it good is giving away a lot of money. Who's the we? Uh, probably just the, our team in the office here. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been fantastic. I am so grateful for your candor and amazing 
uh, just amazing uh, advice you've shared for a lot of folks. So that's amazing. Where, where can people reach you if they wanted to reach out? I would say probably the fastest and easiest would probably be Instagram, uh, which my hand and my handle is the easiest. I am Josh Delaney. So just my name with an I A M in front of it. That's probably the fastest, easiest social media to get me at. And then everything. I'm one of those guys that have like no followers, but I post our business stuff every day. People are probably like, all right, Josh, we get it. We're all your friends. We get it. So <laughs> well, hopefully we can get you a couple more followers. Uh, yeah, I am yeah. Josh Delaney on Instagram is the best place to reach. We'll put that in the show notes at builttocell.com. Josh, thanks for doing this. Hey, I appreciate you, John. Thanks so much, man. Congrats to your success as well. Hey, if you like today's episode, you're going to love my new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. The book was inspired by the cohort of my guests over the years who have been able to negotiate an exit far better than the benchmark in their industry, sometimes two or three times more than I would have expected. I was curious to understand the tactics and strategies of these entrepreneurs and what they do differently from average performers. The result is a playbook for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. To learn more, go to builttosell.com slash selling, where we put together a collection of gifts for listeners who order the book. Just go to builttosell.com slash selling. Built to Sell Radio is produced by Haley Parkhill. Our audio and video engineer is Dennis Labataglia. If you like what you've just heard, subscribe to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Just go to builttosell.com. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.